Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Charles Matthews, who is a men's coach and author. Charles, how are you doing? Great. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for including me on your podcast. Of course, man. We love to have you, and we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Great. Yeah. So I'm uh, really excited to be talking about my work with with men and and promoting masculinity, healthy masculinity. I've been an educator and and wilderness trip leader and and nonprofit leader for thirty years, and most recently been working on, like I said, promoting this idea of healthy masculinity and helping men and groups of men step away from what I call old strength, this idea that we need to be tough, that we need to be stoic, that we need to hide our emotions, all this stuff, and that, uh, really what we can do is help one another create opportunities for men to step into vulnerability, into truth, into curiosity, into not knowing to be better leaders, better parents, better partners, all of that. And and this is kind of in line. I, you know, I saw that, you know, what do I do for fun is on the list. And I just moved. I doing this huge life change. I moved across the country. I'm renovating a hundred year old house. I'm living with my in-laws. Like, what do I, what do I do for fun? Um, but tonight I made dinner for everybody and making dinner every night for my family, for my wife and her parents has been this, uh, choice that I made. I stepped into that role to make dinner every night, to plan the menu, to be creative, to put on my apron, right? Sometimes it's even a frilly apron to put on my apron and step into that nurturing generative role that uh, is kind of like being a mom. So it's a little bit out of the masculine role and it just feels great. It feels great to give. It feels great to create. It feels great to keep everybody healthy and, and happy. So that's what I've been doing for fun lately, actually. I just made homemade pizza tonight. It was amazing. There we go. There we go. What type of pizza? Yeah. Did you have like sausages? Was it Hawaiian? Yeah. Uh, real simple, like sausage, olive, and and a little bit fancy. The artichoke hearts were a little bit fancy. And the place where we live has this amazing access to farms that are doing pasture-raised pork. So it's just like homemade Italian sausage, like fresh, 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 happy pigs. Mm, good stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, tell us yeah. a little bit more about what got you started with healthy masculinity. Has it been a 35-year yeah. thing or has it been a recent development? Tell us about it. Yeah. You know, the, the teaching and education, and especially wilderness education, leading trips in the Grand Canyon, leading trips to the highest peaks in, in uh, Wyoming, leading, you know, doing tree climbing in, in Costa Rica, all of those experiences, it turns out, looking back, were about 
an understanding of leadership that was different from the top down my way or the highway kind of leadership in wilderness education settings. We're always leading in teams. There's almost always at least two people leading together. There's a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of sharing of information. There's a lot of mentoring, not just didactic kind of teaching a lot of, a lot of mentoring and a lot of treating the clients or the students as whole people. So I was learning a kind of, what I call new strength leadership all along. And then 12 years ago, I, I picked up a flyer on the side of a, on the side of the grocery store that was looking for volunteers to get involved with uh, mentoring teenage boys. And I spent, I just started off as a volunteer and then spent 10 years as program and executive director working with, you know, quote unquote, at risk teenage boys, uh, helping them get in touch with the, the strong vulnerable energies inside of themselves. And we would work, do some pretty intense work with these young men. And, and I would see them sometimes crying as we're talking about like, what's, what's in their way, what's getting, what's getting them in trouble. How are they getting out of trouble? What are their hopes and dreams? You know, what is their relationship with their father? Like these, you know, big topics. And sometimes they would cry. And I would notice that after they broke, quote unquote, broke down and cried, they didn't look, broken to me. To me, they looked strong. Their shoulders were square. They were able to look us in the eye finally after kind of going through this process. And, you know, through all of the snot and tears, there was uh, just this uh, glow. And that's when I started thinking about, wait a minute, I think we're thinking about strength in the wrong way. And then I started applying that to my work with men and with organizations and helping organizations and leaders in particular, male leaders in particular, find their way around all of the blocks to that kind of strength. You know, we're told so many incorrect things about leadership and strength as men. We're told that we're supposed to be tough. We're not supposed to cry. We're not supposed to show our emotions. We're not even supposed to show curiosity or or doubt or uh, wonder. Uh, and all of those rules cut us off from what it really takes to be a leader in the 21st century, that ability to collaborate, that ability to envision something brand new, the ability to be a cheerleader for other people and bring their ideas in to be inclusive. Um, so that's, I've been really excited to be doing that work these last couple of years. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, that is um, vulnerability, authenticity. I mean, that's just the stuff that makes us human. And to be a good leader, you need to be able to relate to and inspire a yourself. Like you need to be able to lead yourself, but also other humans. So uh, that's some important work. Yeah. And it's not like, it's not weak. Like I like how you call it strong because right. it's actually, it takes a lot of strength to be vulnerable and face potential judgment that you may be scared of. Absolutely. Absolutely. It feels risky, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. 100%. And I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating that that men and, and leaders just go out there and just be like 100% completely transparent and vulnerable with every single emotion you're feeling in the moment. Like, you got to pick your times. And I'm a huge proponent in my book, Leadership and Masculinity, I talk about the recommendations I make for men to find a men's group to find a safe place or to even form a men's group if you don't have one, to find a place where you can practice that kind of vulnerability and authenticity before you bring it even into your family, uh, before you bring it into your workplace. Uh, and if you can't find a men's group, then, you know, just start journaling. Yeah. 
start, start just recording. What are you feeling right now in the moment? Start practicing that. And it's, it's not that hard to get back to. We were like that as four-year-olds, right? We were all authentic and vulnerable as four-year-olds. Uh, so it's just, it's something that we got taught out of, talked out of, and uh, we just can get back to it uh, relatively easily if, if we're willing to do the work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us a bit more about your motivation. What gets you up and keeps you going every day? Yeah. Um, you know, lately it's been the amount of, uh, uh, crappy woodwork in my house that needs to be stripped and stained and, and put back in place. But, uh, so actually, I mean, to, to go a little bit deeper that what motivates that work is this interest in, in beauty and sustainability, right? Like when it comes to this house renovation, and I know this seems a little bit off track, but when it comes to this house renovation, it really is about wanting to leave a legacy, right? Wanting to leave. So this house is a hundred years old. Multiple families have lived in it. They, they built more onto it. They added to it. They, they, you know, brought electricity into it at some point. They, at, they painted it, they restuccoed it, you know, so the legacy is embodied. Other people's legacy is already embodied in this house. And how can I leave it better than I found it? Yeah. I could, I could just buy it and stay in it and just, you know, leave the woodwork this way. Um, so as a 55 year old, uh, my thoughts do turn to, to legacy. How am I going to make sure that I leave behind everything a little bit better than when I found it? And then, you know, more specifically in my work with men, I see a lot of pain out there. I see a lot of men struggling and, you know, some, some men's coaches are trying to get men to blame, the women or feminists or blame culture for the position that men are in. And I just want to be an ally for men. I just want to be like, you know what guys, we've, we, we did get talked out of those beautiful human characteristics as you name the vulnerability, authenticity. We got talked out of them, but they're right here for us. It's just, it's just right there. You can reach out and grab it. Uh, and I know that the men in, in my circles who have done that work have better marriages, have better parenting skills, have better relationships with their kids, uh, and find ways to be more fulfilled and more effective at work. So if I can, if I can create a little bit more beauty and a little bit more happiness, that's, that's a great legacy. That's what gets me up in the morning. It really is the simple things that get us up. Like, you know, it may get real complex in the day-to-day, -day, like tactics, tools, meeting with different people, book schedule, different yeah. things you're doing. But the core motivation is always uh, something fairly simple and yeah. usually very human. So. Yeah. Can I leave it a little better? Can I leave it a little better? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, awesome. We're going to jump into your dreams and goals now. Tell us about your vision for healthy masculinity and your life. Yeah. So the so the big vision is you know a series of interconnected communities of of men who are supporting one another in this work. One of the the big blocks to men being vulnerable, the one of the big blocks to men even just being curious at work is is that we often police one another. We are often calling each other, you know, don't be so soft, don't be so weak, don't be so blah blah, or we even maybe don't get promotions or. Uh, you know, sometimes we even get policed by our partners, like, oh, I need you to be strong and stoic. So we need a support system of men who are willing to 
just kind of hold space for us is kind of the term that gets bandied around holding space for one another while we stumble and mumble and fumble through rediscovering our humanity, our authenticity, our vulnerability, our truth, our emotions. And and a lot of work has already been done. The Mankind Project, Human, Sacred Sons. There's a bunch of groups out there all around the all around the world who are doing this work. And my vision is to be a part of that, making sure that men get hooked up with those resources um, when they need them, and uh, are able to, you know, as men remove the blocks to their own humanity they remove blocks to the kinds of change that we need to see in the world. The more men are able to bring listening and collaboration and inclusion into the workplace, into the nonprofit world, into government, into the, even their families, the more power is going to get unleashed, right? Power, power is not a zero sum game, right? It's like the more people who have power, the more power there is. It's not, it's, it doesn't subtract, it multiplies. So, men have been hanging on to power in this kind of old strength kind of way for so long that the more we can loosen our grasp on it, the more power is going to show up to do things like deal with climate change, to deal with inequity in the world, to uh, create the kinds of products and services that are going to lift people up and make the world a better place to live. I mean, I, I moved to upstate New York where there is vast potential for people who need to get away from the coasts because of hurricanes, there's vast potential to move up here, create a life, create a business, serve other people. And uh, that's what I want to be a part of. Absolutely. I, um, I love the point about power multiplying, uh, especially when you like look throughout history, like I'm sure people a hundred years ago did not, most of them at least did not envision society as it is today. They're like, Oh, no way that would work or no way we could have that many people on the planet or no way, you know, the right, right. production could be that efficient, whatever right. it could be. Right. Right. And that's, you know, that's, that's part of the lie, right. Is that it's a zero sum game that whatever you get is being taken away from me. And that's just, I don't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, uh, it's a good belief to have or, not have depending on how you want to yeah, look at that yeah, sentence. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Well, Charles, tell us about some more dreams and goals that you have. Is creating a series of internet interconnected communities for men dealing with these issues? Is that the kind of big vision? And that's where you're leaving it, or do you have some more that you want to talk about? Yeah, I think you know, moving to this new community, the the focus has become uh temporarily really local. So it's really about um, creating an environment in this city that can support a bunch more people coming in. Utica is a Utica is a really unique city, and I encourage anybody to look it up. It's a it's a very refugee friendly city. There are people from all around the world here, from Somalia, from Syria, from uh, uh, Ukraine. We're having more Ukrainian immigrants come, Bosnian immigrants. My my house has a particular style of stucco on it that's Bosnian stucco. It looks fantastic. Um, so, you know, this is kind of an experiment in how can we make space for even more people? How can we, in our hearts, in our economy, in our government, create 
more room for people like me who actually fled the Southwest because it's on fire? How can we create more room for people here? So I'm I'm taking all that I know about new strength leadership and and helping men become better leaders and really applying it to a particular project. How can we set this city up to be welcoming for people from all over the United States who might need to leave Florida or Louisiana or North Carolina because of rising water? or leaving New Mexico because of fires or uh, Texas because of drought, whatever it might be. How can we set ourselves up to get through the next 50 or 100 years in a way that keeps everybody uh, engaged and abundant and uh, not uh, not blaming each other for problems, but actually finding solutions? Hmm. Well, what are the top one to two skills that you need to develop to create these interconnected communities starting from the local and building. Yeah. 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 The, the, I was thinking about this question and, and my, almost always my answer is vulnerability, but I, I spent a little time thinking about that the other day, Timothy, and, and thinking about where, where my ability to be vulnerable comes from and, and the skill that I bring to mm-hmm. vulnerability, to the, to, to, to be able to be vulnerable, curious, open, collaborative, all of that is that, uh, my ego is the right size most most of the time, not all the time. But you know, I, I spent a lot of time in my teens and twenties, you know, building my ego up, getting educated, getting all these, you know, ribbons and diplomas and all this stuff, and puffing up my ego to think that I was all that. And that's not what people want to be around. People don't want to be with somebody who thinks they're all that. It's like. You know, it's like a big red giant star that just takes up all the room, takes up all the space in the room, but isn't really all that great. Uh, and I've done a lot of, you know, not to toot my own horn too much, but, you know, I went through, well, I went through some, you know, I went through the the midlife crisis. I went through some crap. I had a relationship that fell apart. My, I had a business that failed back in 2008. Uh, I had my butt handed to me by the universe. And fortunately I found uh, a mentor and therapist who worked on men's issues in particular, who was able to help me shrink my ego back down to the right size. And now it's more like a really bright white star. So it's bright, but it doesn't take away from anybody else. It doesn't take up too much space in the room. And so it's okay for me to be wrong. Like being wrong is not a problem. Being incorrect about something, giving somebody else credit for their work doesn't take away from me. Being able to say, I don't know how to do this. Oh my God, talk about renovating a house. I have no idea how to do any of this. Um, you know, being able to say in a in a committee meeting, I I don't know what we should do. I don't know how this event should go. I don't know uh, how to make this move in business. Let's talk about it. Let's find some resources. Let's find somebody who does know and let's come to a great, great solution. So getting Understanding that I don't matter that much to really kind of break it down. Like I don't matter that much. I'm not all that is the skill that I'm always working on. And when I get, you know, triggered, when I get away from that, I start thinking that I'm really important or that whatever somebody said just then is about me when it's really about them. And when I can remember to breathe and be like, it's not that important. You're not all that. Everybody else is living their own life right now. It's not about you. That helps me be the kind of leader and listener that I really want to be. That ego management. Or is it um are you doing specific things to kind of keep it 
at that white star that shines bright yeah. but doesn't take up space or is it just kind of a autopilot thing now yeah no there's uh, there's a fair amount of activity still to do uh, i wish it were just automatic all the time um one is to spend time in nature that's what that's one of the things that works for me um and by by saying spending time in nature sometimes it's just walking around the block in my little neighborhood here and there's a there's a maple tree that's like i can see it from where i'm where i'm sitting right now there's a maple tree that is bigger than any house on this block that's just it's just a sidewalk tree but it's been here a hundred years and i just go walk underneath that and and look up and wonder and notice how small i am mm. you know that tree was that tree was planted before i was born uh, it might even be here after I'm gone. Uh, it is much bigger than me. It's seen much more and it knows much more. So spending any kind of time in nature with with mountains, big trees, the ocean, and letting letting myself shrink in importance in the face of these big, big natural forces and these big beings is one. Um, and another practice that I recommend and that I that I take up from time to time when I start feeling my ego getting too puffy is just 10 minutes of meditation a day and letting the the thoughts and worries and concerns and plans try and pass through me. I love planning. I love being busy, all that stuff. But if I can take 10 minutes a day to let those pass through me, I discover what Michael Pollan describes as the ground underneath the ground. He was talking about it in relationship to doing uh, psychedelics and, and, and sort of slipping down beneath the ego. But for me, even just 10 minutes of meditation a day, I find there's a sense of being that is independent of all of my blah, 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 my monkey mind, my, my, the ego that I present to the world, there is something else there. And that was vastly reassuring for me because I thought I was my ego. I thought I was all of my thoughts. I thought I was all of my plans, but there's something underneath that's okay. And that's really reassuring. Yeah. I, um, I had a very similar kind of honestly still have a similar struggle of identifying with thoughts. Like you, your thoughts will get so caught up because your ego just wants to protect you. It's like a scared yeah. little child. Yeah. And whenever you see the bank account drop in or the business failing, or you got cussed out on that cold call for the 10th <laughs> time that week, <laughs> whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, yeah your ego, your mind, your thoughts really start to mess with you. And I still identify with those thoughts in such a way where it's like, you know, used to, used to be to a point where it would just shut me down for a long period of time. Now it gets to the point, like maybe I need 10 minutes, or maybe I need five minutes or maybe I need 15 minutes. If it's a bad yeah. day, maybe I'll need 30, but I can get back into it better. And so it's just that process of, um, yeah, just in the power of now, it talks about like just living in the now being right. present, the ground underneath the ground, meditating, however you want to talk about it. It's uh, just getting away from that ego, detaching yourself from it and like observing right. it almost. Right. Right. And I think one, one, I agree with all of that. And I think one adjustment I would make that I think makes this kind of conversation a little bit easier for most Western men, men in particular to get is that, you know, a lot of sort of Eastern practices and Eastern religion talk about just getting away from the ego or ignoring the ego. And I'm a big proponent of, of crafting that healthy ego. You talked about how, you know, the ego is trying to protect you. And that's 
you know, some of the depth psychologists that I follow talk about the idea that the ego persona is what gets created the first time mom doesn't pick us back up when we cry. And we realize that like, oh, crap, I, the world is not a great place. I got to protect myself. And we we create this set of behaviors and triggered responses and all this, this protective shell, this, uh, you know, this kind of warrior that is designed to make sure we never get hurt. And that works for most people decently well for a while until they try and really be in relationship, maybe until that until they try and parent, maybe until they get that promotion, maybe until their body starts to break down and they start wondering, wait a minute, what is life all about if I'm going to die? So the, the trick is not to ignore the ego because the ego in my mind is the way that the soul interacts with the world because the soul is too ineffable and strange to really interact with the day-to-day world. So it needs like a operating system, right? It needs some software. Most of us write really bad software when we're five years old. So our, our, our job is to rewrite that software so that it really matches what we really want, what we, you know, we really want purpose. We really want closeness. We really want authenticity. We really want um, meaning and we really want mystery. So how can I re- rewrite my ego, rewrite my software so that those are accessible to me instead of having this brittle software that keeps me from getting those things that actually gets in the way of me getting those things. Mm. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like the, um, embracing it and rewriting the software because you don't want to kill a part of you necessarily right it very much is a part of you right right that's one of the big mistakes is when we try and we try and kill off parts of ourselves rather than figuring out how a way to integrate it and make it make it useful make it serve its actual function yeah yeah well awesome what are the highest impact daily actions that are going to tick the needle forward towards your dreams and goals of creating this series of interconnected communities. Yeah. Yeah. So the daily actions are, are just remembering to get up and, and check my Trello board every day. Right. It's like the night before, strangely for me, strangely enough, the night before is when I can be really generative and creative and come up with plans and activities to do with very little inhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and where I get inhibited is inhibited is the next day. I start doubting myself. I start thinking I don't have enough time or that's going to take too much energy. So if if I take the list that I've made the night before and actually just start chunking through that, call the call the mayor in this case. I just met the mayor the other day. I'm going to call him up and, and set up an appointment with him. Um, you know, uh, invite three guys to start a men's group in Utica. Right. That's on the list. If I can just do those things without questioning whether or not they're the right things to do, like past self, evening self, uninhibited self said, this is what we're going to do. So let's just let's just follow through Mm -hmm. Uh, that that practice, that habit of believing the guy from the night before uh, really helps me stay uh, unstuck. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
believing the guy from the night before. That's so, such an interesting way to put it because it's like they're both you, you know? Right, 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 <laughs> right. And it and it may be different for other people. You know, you may you may be a person who goes off uh, and takes a walk and comes up with a bunch of plans, or goes on vacation and comes up with a whole strategic plan and a series of steps. Um, or you may do it in the morning over your coffee, whatever it is. I just notice it for me. I'll do that, and then then this self doubt starts to come in. And so if I can just like stay um, faithful to that dreaming self, to that planning self, to that self that does know what the next steps are, if I can stay faithful to that person and do what he said he was going to do, then I, then I can do all right. And when I start going, ah, I don't know, that sounds scary or that sounds too hard or, or that's maybe that's not even in the right order. I don't even, I try not to even question you know, whether it's the right order or the right time or whatever, just try and go for it. Yeah, I gotcha. Well, this is a fun one. What character trait do you most need to develop right now to make these dreams and goals come true? Yeah, um, really, it's courage. Really, it's, um, yeah, courage coming out of the, I think there's, I think I might be jumping ahead to a question that, but yeah, it's courage. I'll just leave it at that because I think the next question is going to be about it. But you know, following following that that dreaming self into some places that might seem risky, mm. seem scary, that that might have rejection in them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> courage and facing rejection. I feel like it's almost one of the baseline just human fears of yeah, rejection. For sure. For sure. I feel like back in the day, rejection meant eventual isolation which is like just the worst yeah 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 if you got isolated in a tribal society you were effed mm -hmm. like the jaguars were on you if yeah. you were isolated yeah you were done you were done well, awesome you were done yeah. <laughs> if there were one or two people that you could meet right now and this could be a specific person or a type of person and they'd really help you take that next step towards your mm. dreams and goals who would they be and how would they do it yeah how would they do it or how would I, how would I meet them? How would they help you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is, yeah, this is a little bit off to one side in that it's not completely transactional and, and looking for help directly, but I really want to meet Michael Mead um, before he passes. He's, he's getting up in age and he's a, he's a, a drummer and a storyteller and a men's, group coach and bringing the power of, of myth and story into everyday life. And he, you know, he knew Robert Bly, he knew uh, Joseph Campbell. He's in a line of these men working with men's souls and men's spirits for, for, you know, 50 years. So he's in, he's in that line. And, and I would love to, just receive his uh, blessing and to share breath with him, to actually be in person and share breath with him. Um, and, and I think that that would, I believe that that kind of interaction would help me uh, take on some more courage to know that I'm helping carry what, Michael and others before me have done mm. to be in a lineage. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Michael Mead. You know, I've never heard of that, that guy. Yeah, M E A D E is his last name, and he's got a po- he's he's got a podcast too. Um, it's not on Bean. I can't remember the name of it right now. Are you gonna get on his show? I would love to get on his show. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't have guests. He uh, just get. He just gets on the podcast and starts telling stories. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Living Myth is the name of his podcast. Living Myth. There yeah. we go. Yeah. We got our thriving three right now. These are going to be real quick, and then we're going to get into some more meteor questions. And I think these right. were the, those next questions were the ones you were talking about earlier, I think. Yeah. But um, awesome. What's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Yeah. Um, this will be a little bit off to one side as well. My my favorite book is um, The Peripheral by William Gibson, and it just got made into a Prime Amazon Prime TV show. If and I wish they'd done a little bit better job, but The Peripheral is really um, really sad and really hopeful. It's a it's about uh, climate change and uh, what in the book is called the jackpot, just kind of like everything falling apart. But it offers uh, some hope in the idea that our humanity and our vulnerability and our attachment to one another is what will see us through some challenging times. Uh, And I just... I'm just moved every time I, I read that book. So the peripheral by William Gibson. I've seen it on prime. Like I yeah. saw that show come up. Did you, you haven't seen, you haven't seen it. Yet. I, I haven't seen it, but I've yeah. seen the peripheral. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the show is, the show is good, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't quite have the core of, of that humanity and, and vulnerability mm. and care that, uh, that the book does. Do you think the show tried to capture it and just failed, or do you think they just neglected that part? You know, I saw some of the some of the kind of the extras on Prime, and the the showrunners are are uh, they definitely talk about how important it was to portray that kind of humanity and the connections between the the characters, some of the main characters, the familial uh, connections. And in in some cases, they actually expanded it a little bit because some of the characters who are really marginal in the book get a little bit more time. But uh, ultimately, they kind of had to put too much wow uh, to keep us all entertained on the television uh, mm. to really to really have it be about the humanity. They had to make they kind of had to make the main character a little uh, tougher and feistier. And in the book, she's just she's just a regular person. Yeah, she's just a regular chick, and uh, she steps up in a way that is that I would hope that I would step up. Mm. Right? She kind of inspires me. There we go. Yeah. What's one way you like to take care of yourself? Just walking around my neighborhood has been remarkable self care since we moved here, and. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. One is that big maple tree I mentioned right down the block. Uh, another is when the when the weather was better, um, just running into neighbors. And we moved from where we were specifically because 
we had boxed ourselves in the way so many suburban people do. We didn't know our neighbors. We had no connection with the people we lived right next to. And we were determined that that was not a sustainable, satisfying human way to live. So by going for, going for a walk around the neighborhood and just seeing people, we met Camel, who's a Bosnian immigrant who was working, he was tiling his garage and making it beautiful so he could roll his nice Corvette in there for the winter. Um, you know, we met uh, Zilka, who's another Bosnian immigrant who makes makes 10 pounds of sauerkraut at the same time and is just full of full of life and energy. And um, yeah, I just met all these amazing We met people who'd been here for four generations uh, and who were bought the old firehouse. A young couple bought the old firehouse and are renovating it and turning it into a house. So that inspires me seeing these other people. And that, again, gets me out of my own blah, blah, blah. Because I'm, now I'm interacting with other people and hearing about their dreams and their uh, their real lives, and that that helps me keep my ego in that right size. Yeah, yeah. And what is one action step you can take right now to meet Michael Mead? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I just got to send him a copy of my book and say, "Would love to chat." There we go. If you want a um, interesting way to send a copy of your book. Check out Giftology by John Rulin. It's probably about a two and a half hour book on yeah. audio or audiobook just in general. Yep. And he talks about gift giving as a form of marketing. And he sends books in a very specific, unique way designed to capture the attention of people. So Giftology. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Timothy. Of course course happy to help awesome now we got our final series of questions so these can get a bit personal if you want to not answer one of them just be like i want to pass i'm be like okay cool and then we'll move on sound good sounds good what is one limiting belief that continues to pop up in your life if any right yeah this was the question i was thinking about when you were asking me about when i was talking about courage what's the limiting belief that prevents me from from accessing that courage and one of the limiting beliefs is just that there are other people who are doing it better than i right that i'm that i'm too late that every you know that other people and you know some of my you know some of my great friends and colleagues in this in this work mark green and and um uh Anyway, Mark Green and, and some others had just been doing great work, written great books. Uh, and I'm just like, ah, oh, God, nobody nobody cares about what I have to say. It's already all been said. So the idea that it's already all been said and that my particular spin is not important is, is definitely a limiting belief. And so it feeds that belief that I'm going to get rejected for stepping forward and people are going to roll their eyes rather than welcome it. Mm. So... So funny because people would love what you have to say. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. your personal spin is such a value add because there's one person out there. And I really like we've been talking about the human aspects of stuff throughout this whole podcast. And I think the most human aspect is doing something very specific with one person in mind. And so what I'm trying to get at here is when you add your unique spin to it, there's one person out there who's going to hear it. And maybe they heard all the other people, maybe they've been in the space for years and it's just not clicking, but they want it, they want it, they want it. And they hear your little story that just ties to their life in such a unique way. And it's like, I get it now. 
And then Absolutely. they go on to change lives. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's some, you know, one of the things that limits me as well is also this lack of patience and patience requires a ton of vulnerability, right? Cause of like impatience or, you know, being patient means you're sitting in the no, not yet, which can feel like rejection for a while. Uh, you know, and I've only been talking about this stuff out loud for a couple of years. That's not a very long time. Michael Mead's been doing it for 50 years. Uh, and I'm expecting, you know, to be, to be uh, uh, making an impact in just a couple of years. And just in the last couple of months, we've started getting responses to our podcast. And I'm talking about Mark Green and I do the Remaking Manhood podcast. We've been getting people emailing us and we talk to other podcasters like, you probably know, you hardly ever hear back from your listeners. Hardly it's ever. pretty rare. <laughs> Yeah. So just in the last couple months, getting uh, getting some emails back from some listeners who were uh, pretty powerfully impacted by by what we're doing on that podcast. So, yeah, this is this is great to just realize, like, oh, yeah, I got to be more patient. All right. Oh, yeah. It's about patience is connected to vulnerability. You're always talking about be more vulnerable. All right. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never heard the link of patience to vulnerability because patience is almost a form of rejection. And it's so true because every day I like, you know, I'm looking at the podcast stats, you look at your bank account and you have these big dreams. I'm communicating these big dreams to people, but it's not there yet. And every time I communicate it, you see the look of doubt in their eyes. And the most painful part is it resonates with the doubt I have in myself. And so that's where it really hurts. It's like, I'm really trying to be patient. I'm really trying to, uh, you know, walk in the dreams and the calling I feel I have on my life, but yeah. it's like, I'm not there yet. I don't have the proof. And so every time I communicate to somebody, even if you're trying to help somebody or you're just trying to let somebody know what you do, you, you feel it, you feel the yeah. rejection and you feel the rejection from them and low key from yourself too. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it hurts. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It does. It does. And to, and to take that, you know, sometimes we have to take those, that feedback and figure out whether or not we're supposed to do something with that. Was that not the right person to pitch to? Did I not pitch the right way? Is this message not really resonating with this particular audience or do I just need to keep going? Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to find that balance between keep going and change it up because it's like, you know, you need to be consistent, but it's also like, what if what I'm doing just sucks and nobody cares you know and there's that balance between um and then you find one person and then your mind talks to you and you're like yeah but it's just that one person that's the only person in the world who cares (laughs) right right i still suck even (laughs) even even though that person emailed me and told him told me i made a difference in their life i still suck right right for (laughs) sure for sure yeah yeah it's really easy to succumb to that so i like that connection you made between patience vulnerability and rejection Thank you for that. You got Where does that come from for you, though? The other people are doing it better, that I'm too late, that it's already been said, rejection, lack of patience. Where does all that come from? Yeah, yeah. It's it's that unhealthy ego protector, right? Some some psychologists talk about the loyal soldier, the 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 part of our ego that works its ass off to protect us. Mm-hmm. And in some one strategy that the loyal soldier uses is to keep us small and safe, right? Don't, don't stick your head up. Don't take risks. If you don't take risks, then you're safe. So sometimes my, my loyal soldier, the unhealthy part of my ego 
notices that I'm not uh, getting 100% positive feedback all the time and says, get, get your, tuck your head back in, buddy. You're, you're exposed out here. Don't, yeah. don't do that. And, you know, most you know, Peter Levine and other, other experts in trauma talk about, you know, the defined trauma as anything other than perfect parenting. And of course, none of us had perfect parenting and, you know, as three and four and five-year-olds, any, any tiny bit of apparent rejection from our parents is devastating because they are our gods. Yep. And so if the, if our gods are rejecting us, then we must be terrible. We, it must be that we are abject, terrible creatures. Um, and I just, you know, I, I remember, a. a uh, an expression on my father's face when I tangled up the fishing line for the 15th time or whatever it was, maybe it was only the third time. And, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't pissed at me. He wasn't, he didn't think he didn't regret having me as a child. He was just like, Oh God, there's a fishing line again. I just want to fish. And I got to yeah. untangle this thing from the cottonwoods and the willows behind my kid. Um, but I, I took that. I bought, I bought into that expression on his face and I didn't realize I was carrying that around uh, as a judgment about who I was as a person, whether or not I was worthy um, until I was in my 40s and started doing pretty intense uh, therapy and, and wilderness uh, vision quest work. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you have any actions to this day that stem from these limiting beliefs? They can happen daily, weekly, monthly, annually, but they come from the beliefs that generate the thoughts that make you have the feelings that lead to these actions. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the simplest, subtlest one is those to-do list items that seem a little risky that keep getting pushed down the list, calling the mayor, reaching out to Michael Mead, having, you know, having a conversation like, you know, right now I owe Mark Green a phone call, my podcast partner. It's like, we got to do some more episodes. And I'm just like, oh God, do I really want, you know, that just keeps, it's right now I've got this great excuse. I got so much woodwork to, like I said, to strip and stain and and sand and all that. I got a great excuse to not, to not engage and uh, find ways to continue to deliver the, 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 the gifts and the ideas that, that maybe I'm, I'm here to deliver. So it, yeah, it definitely shows up in just how I, how I prioritize my time. Gotcha. If you were to change your limiting belief into an abundant phrase that really spoke to your heart, what would that phrase be? Yeah. I am part of a lineage of men who have something to say. Mm. I love that. I love that a lot because it's like it's identity mm -hmm. and it just really like maybe this because I'm young, but identity is a pretty new thing <laughs> in my life. Like mm -hmm. I was just going through life, like taking actions and doing stuff. And then it's like I'm doing all this stuff because I think I am someone and mm -hmm. like that belief of who I am at my core, like allows me to do this stuff. And it was Kind of the thing I go back to is like a dog drinks water out of the toilet, but a human doesn't drink water out of the toilet. And it's like, that's 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 your definition. Okay, that's that's how you get clear about what who's human and who's not. Have you had water out of the toilet today? No. Okay. Great. Good. Good job. <laughs> yeah, but it's just how I reconcile identity in my head because yeah, like, 
there are areas in my life where I'm metaphorically drinking water out the toilet. Yeah. And it's like, dude, that's not who you are. And it's not right. who you have to be. And so I like that your phrase speaks to identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's a little bit different for, for me as I get older is I'm, I'm more and more interested in my identity as a shared communal or relational project. Um, you know, you hear a lot of people on clubhouse or, you know, wherever spaces are where people are like really talking about self-actualization and being the best you, you can be where they're really encouraging people to do a lot of self-authoring work. And that, that self-authoring work, that identity creation work is critically important, right? You are not your dad. You're not what your mom told you you were. You're not who your friends thought you were, right? You, you know, a, a self-authorship project is really important. But that's not the end, in my opinion, in my experience, right? There's a there's another level of cooperative, collaborative authorship. You know, I talked about at the beginning about what I'm doing for fun these days is cooking for others. And that is a is a collaborative project. It's a it's a gift to others that is tied up with my identity. I used to work in kitchens a lot. So now when I put on a white apron and tie it around my waist and get my knives all sharp, I feel like I'm 22 again, working in the kitchen. So that's kind of my self-authored part, but now I'm doing it as a gift to others uh, and interacting with them and, and being open to their experience as it relates to my identity formation. So now I'm not just, you know, Charles who has sharp knives. I'm, Charles in relationship to these people who I feed mm. and who I can watch uh, experience joy and satisfaction. I'm, I'm in a collaborative identity authorship with my wife, um, even with my cats, right? You know, I'm just, it's not and with the, with the maple tree outside. So I think a lot of self-help gurus who are just telling people to focus on themselves and focus on, on affirmations and, and mantras and being the best you and not listening to the other people. And, um, and it gets, it, it actually gets tangled up with race and identity in a lot of ways. Like people talk about like, you gotta be, you know, independent of your label and all of that, independent of your skin color, independent of your, your, um, your financial situation, whatever you are, you, and that is true. And we are relational creatures. And, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert says we do self-actualization so we can be in relationship so we can be of service. Yeah. And it doesn't stop at self-actualization. It keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. I It reminds me of, um, reminds me of two things, but right now I'm only remembering one of the two. <laughs> uh, ah, what was the other one? Anyway. I think there was this quote where it's like you start in life somewhere and then you leave it. You leave that place and mm -hmm. you travel the whole world and you get all these experiences only to come back to the same place where you started and know it differently. Right. And so that whole journey away from other people's opinions towards self-actualization is like, yes, you need to like build your confidence. You need to learn to keep promises to yourself. You need to learn to be able to look yourself in the mirror. But all of that is then put in the perspective of to what end yeah. 
And then you realize that you want to be fulfilled and you were actually put here to be in community and serve others. Yeah. And so, yeah. The other thing it made me think of was if you take people out of the equation, like self-actualization again, begs that question of to what end. And Elon Musk talked about this when he was talking about money, he was like money, everybody will do they'll like risk their morals for money. They'll do so much for money. But it's like, if you were like a multi multi billionaire, you had all the money in the world, but you were alone on an island, that money would be worthless. Yeah. And so it's putting like money in the context of society. And it's also putting your self actualization in the context of society and like self actualize yeah. so you can do what you were put here to do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the first thing you mentioned, the, the, the story, the metaphor of, you know, basically traveling around the world and ending up back where you started you know, doing all the self-actualization. That's the, that's the hero's journey, right? That's what Joseph Campbell outlined over and over again, is that the hero comes back to the village. That's the important part is that he or she goes through all these trials and meets all these helpers and risks their life in order to come back and, and fix what needs to be fixed at home. Mm -hmm. I love it. I didn't know it was the hero's journey i've heard so much about the hero's journey like tidbits here and there i actually do a deep study into it because it's so just embedded into everything yeah absolutely yeah awesome well what when the limiting beliefs start to take over what thoughts or actions do you resort to to take back control and like refocus towards abundance yeah what I used to try and do is I tr- used to try and take care of that myself. I used to try and, like I said, use those affirmations or meditate or, you know, do things for myself to bolster myself back up. And that's exhausting and it didn't always work. And now I call my friends. I call Mark Green. I call Adam Young uh, or, I, you know, I talk to my wife and open up about what I'm struggling with. You know, I'm struggling to stay motivated and that feels like such a risk. And especially, you know, interacting with other people who are on an entrepreneurship or a solopreneurship journey or other people who are authors to say out loud, I'm struggling to stay motivated. You know, of course, what do they say back? It's like, oh yeah, I hear you. I'm hardly ever motivated. Um, So it turns out that even my being vulnerable to other people in that way ends up being a reciprocal gift. Because they get to admit as well that they struggle with being motivated or they struggle with self-doubt or whatever. Um, And then the shame falls off of us, right? Like Brené Brown talks about how crippling shame can be. And when we can just admit, I feel ashamed, I feel less than, I feel demotivated, I feel hopeless. Um, When we can admit that, then for some reason the weight goes away. Yeah. The cognitive weight, the emotional weight just falls off her back. And that that's uh that's usually good for a week or two. And then I gotta then I gotta call somebody else and talk to him again because now I'm back in the same, same <laughs> unmotivated, scared, risk averse place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There we go. Well, we got one last question for you. You ready? Yes. I want to frame this next question. So Alex Hormozzi said that the difference between manipulation and help is intent. And I think his point here is that you're influencing people in both situations, but manipulation is about getting somebody to do something you want them to do, while help is about seeking to understand what somebody else wants and helping them get there. And this question is going to be about help, not manipulation. 
Now, there's a common saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I actually found out from Dr. Alan Laika, who was a guest on the show, that you can make it drink. You just have to salt its oats. Now, I want you to think of a person with a really fixed mindset. They're not willing to accept help. They're not willing to accept change, and they hate their life. How can we, you and I, mm-hmm. create an environment to salt their oats and help them change their life? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And kind of fortunately for me and my work, unfortunately, fortunately, like the oats are already salted. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything about it. Um, Most, almost all men have been talked out of their relational capacities, have been talked out of their ability to emote, to relate, to handle their own emotions, to be curious, to stay in the mystery, to stay patient. Uh, almost all of us have faced that socialization and almost all of us have participated in socializing one another. We've yeah. been the police along the way for one another, telling our, telling each other not to be soft, not to be scared, not to be a girl, not to be gay, not to be whatever. Um, so what works most when I'm in front of a group of people or a, or a particular person who hasn't ever heard of any of this before, who hasn't really started connecting the dots between their own unhappiness and their own lack of success in their relationship or their own struggles as a parent or their own struggles as a leader, haven't drawn the connected dots with that and their socialization into what we call the man box, the set of rules around masculinity. I just tell my own story. Mm. I did that on my TED TEDx talks. I do it in the book. I talk about how me trying to follow the rules of the man box just made me unhappy, unsuccessful, alone, isolated, miserable, unable to sleep, eating too much, all this stuff. So I just tell my own story. And, and that vulnerability and that truth telling helps guys who are even just marginally ready start to look at their oats a little bit differently like huh these are kind of salty yeah i have i have been following a set of rules that i didn't really agree to i do feel awkward around my kid i do want to be closer to my wife or my partner i do want to be able to lead without feeling martyred you know, I do want to get a promotion, but I know that, you know, EQ, my lack of EQ is holding me back. Um, and then, then they kind of, they start asking questions. You know, they start asking the how questions. How do I get more in touch with my emotions? So it's, it's the, like I said, the oats are salted. Um, it's, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to convince people that they're, that they are basically been sold a bill of goods yeah. um, that isn't satisfying. I love it. Yeah. I think it's um, an interesting part of humanity. Um, the pretext to this question was um, what's the catalyst that makes people change? And it was usually a, the answer that it kind of boiled down to was a personal choice that happens after either extreme inspiration or extreme desperation. Yeah. So some event salts those oats, but it has to come down to that personal choice. And so it's like, 
you can see people when they're primed, pumped and ready. You know, if you look at a business perspective, it's like they've been through X amount of the sales cycle, you know, yeah. and now they're just, yeah. they're ready to talk to the salesperson and get closed. Yeah. And then you have the customers you're uh, nurturing, right? Like right. they're on your newsletter, they're seeing your, right. it's a similar thing, just um, outside of business in real life, like people's oats are getting salted right through life. And, and, and to put it, you know, to, to take my, you know, sort of explanation about the oats are already salted more into the business um, context or, or sales context, right? It's like, we tell our, when we tell our stories, and in particular, when we develop an offering that is connected to what we always wanted as the actual salesperson, mm-hmm. right? If I'm, there's, there's no point in me trying to sell you something that I didn't need at one point. And that I don't continue to need. I continue to need what I'm working to provide. So my story and my vulnerability about that need. Um, I'm going to blank his name. The kind of famous podcasting entrepreneur. Louis Howe? Uh, no, I get his emails all the time. But he needed, a. he was doing a lot of video blogging and he needed a lightweight handheld tripod so he worked with some engineers to build one and now that's part of his product line Mm. so he can tell that story of his problem my wrist was i was working so hard to produce so much content that my arm was falling off and my wrist felt like it was broken and so but i and i knew i couldn't design uh, you know, the perfect tripod. So I went to these other guys uh, and designed it. And, and now, you know, now I'm offering it to you. So that same kind of um, willingness to be open about our own narrative. And it has to be really honest though, right? Cause we always, we know, right. We know when somebody's like telling us a bunch of crap yeah. um, we know when they're, when they're making up a story, that's not true. So that they have to be true stories. They have to be true narratives. I love I'm it. Look, I'm looking up his name. Where is he? Should be in my email list here somewhere. <laughs> is it John Lee Dumas? I'm trying no. to podcasters. Let's see. You said it was a tripod. Yeah. I think it's called the Switch Pod. Anyway, your listeners will find it. They're smart. Yeah. <laughs> Switch Pod podcasts uh, creator. Awesome. Well, Charles. Maybe we'll find it and put it in the show notes. Maybe that's Pat, what we'll do. Pat Flynn. Pat Flynn. Pat Flynn. There we go. Pat Flynn. Awesome. Well, that is all we got for you. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? No, I just want to uh, encourage people, if any of this was interesting for you, especially the stuff about masculinity and leadership, check out the Remaking Manhood podcast with Mark Green and I. We just put out a series of episodes that are only 15 minutes long, 15 minutes for men, uh, and or go to my website, charlesmatthews.com and and download a free chapter of the book. I'm just trying to give that away to kind of entice people. And it's C-H-A-R-L-E-S-M-A-T-H-E-U-S.com. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, if you guys loved what Charles had to say, make sure to check him out. Check out the podcast, get a copy of the book and get a copy for a friend. Charles, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Timothy. Really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation, really inspiring. Um, I'm going to have trouble falling asleep tonight. Thanks. (laughs) Of course, of course. And thank you guys for watching. We will see you on the next one. And on that note, 
we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.